Hello and welcome to the Maximo Theatre and Performance Podcast. This is Lindsay Behrens. On this episode, we review shows at the 2016 New York International Fringe Festival. Enjoy the show. Okay, we're here to talk about the Fringe NYC shows that we've seen. We're recording in the evening. That's unusual for us. We got some adult beverages going, so it's going to be <laughs> real. Yes. <laughs> honest and fun. <laughs> okay, let's start with introductions. Jose? I'm Jose from Stage Buddy. Liz from Fuck Yeah, Great Plays. And I'm Lindsay from Maximu. So we've seen a bunch of shows. Unfortunately, we couldn't make it to all the shows that we even talked about in the preview because just timing didn't allow. But there have been some very good, there's a lot of writing on the fringe online that I thought was pretty helpful. I think Time Out did a pretty good job of covering a multitude of shows. The New York Times has been less generous, uh, <laughs> both in terms of quantity and their feelings towards the fringe shows that they did see. I do not know how they picked what shows they saw because I thought they saw a very odd collection of them. <laughs> yeah. But we've uh, anytime I saw somebody write a collection of reviews about the fringe, I retweeted it. So if you're looking for insights, you can definitely go to our timeline and find a lot of stuff there. Yeah, and uh, theater is easy as reviewing all of the fringe shows. Oh, they are. Yeah, they're doing, they're doing all, all of them. them. So that's, that's a great, great place to check in. Yeah. Indie theater, New York indie theater used to do all of that, but it yeah. has since stopped reviewing shows, sadly. Yeah. One show I did not get a chance to see, but which got a very strong review in Time Out, and I'm hoping I can see, assuming it's not sold out by the end of the fringe, um, is something I mentioned in the preview episode, Night of the Living N-Word. That sounded like people really liked yeah, it. Yeah, it's getting mm. good, good response. Yes, so hopefully, unfortunately, we could not review it for this, but uh, I am hoping to see that. Okay, so let's just get started. I should have asked you how to pronounce this, Liz, because I don't think the word Tarians is ever actually said in the show. No, because they say Taurus. 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 Yes. I believe it's Tarians. Tarians. I believe, yeah. That's how I think, I, that's probably, I probably would have but, butched it up. I mean, botched it <laughs> One or the other, both of those things maybe. <laughs> so do you say Iphigenia or Iphigenia? Iphigenia, that's Iphigenia. what I say. But I think in the show they said Iphigenia. I do too. The show we're talking about is Iphigenia amongst <laughs> the Taurians. <laughs> yes. Which may or may not be the title. So this was from Everyday Inferno Theater Company. It was presented as part of Fringe Al Fresco, which means it was outside, and it was free, which was delightful. Um, and it was a contemporary adaptation of uh, this play from Euripides. Um, it is, unfortunately, the run is over, but I tried to notify folks on Twitter that we would be talking about this, that it would be over, and that you should see it while you can. Um, because it was quite good, I thought. Um, it was in a lovely setting on a rock in Central Park. The day I saw it, the weather couldn't have been more lovely. It was like during the sunset. So you're just sitting on the Upper West Side and hearing these wonderful performers uh, sing and recite essentially, you know, poetry. So it's directed by Anais Koivisto, excuse me if I pronounced that wrong. Um, and notably, I want to point out the musical direction by Kristen Segaro because they did some interpretations of popular music that they inserted into the play that I thought were really quite amazing, starting out with Karma Police by 
yeah, uh, that was radio perfect. Head. That was like the perfect <laughs> like setting for the show. It just yeah. like, set the tone. It was wonderful. It was yeah, great I use. thought the musical arrangements, which is all a cappella, just was so lovely. I thought yeah. it added a really nice, cohesive sort of through line to the whole production. So, I mean, what what else to say? It was it was lovely. Yeah, I'm. You know, I, I'm glad that I, saw, that I, funny enough, had seen the first part of this show mm-hmm. uh, earlier this year, Virginia at Aulis. Um, and they, they fill you in a little on what happened and then get right into the show. It was only a 90-minute piece, so it was pretty, pretty quick. And I have to give a shout-out to uh, the director, who also did the adaptation. And the way she adapted the script is wonderful, because... Not much happens in this show. And if I had to have a bone to pick with it, it's that there's very little plot. It's like getting just the fifth act of a Shakespeare play <laughs> where everyone's reunited and there's a wedding and you're like, wait, but like, I just felt like it, we were catching the tail end of another show. Oh, that's funny. Cause I was like, yay, we're at that moment already. <laughs> <That's wonderful." laughs> yeah. It made me feel like I'd missed something even after having seen the, the previous play. And there's not a, sequel to this. I was I was expecting it to be a trilogy because, you know, when you see these Greek trilogies, the middle play is usually wrapping up the first part and setting up the final act, um, which is what this felt like to me. But there isn't a sequel to this. So that was interesting. Um, yeah, and, the, and then because of just the nature of Greek plays, all of the big dramatic moments are happening off stage and someone comes in and tells us. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the women who play the chorus were very charismatic and I loved listening to them tell stories, so I didn't feel like that was a total detriment. But I, I just wish there was a little bit more going on. But I loved the styling of it and the production and what they brought to a story that is kind of slim. Yeah. Well, our critique of you, Euripides, is that you should have filled this with more Yeah, plot. Euripides. <laughs> Write another one. Yeah. It's also just lovely seeing something like this outdoors. And there are consequences to that, which anytime you see outdoor theater, especially in New York City, there's a lot of interference, mm-hmm. overhead helicopters and planes and sirens. And the performance space, it, it was a little challenging because they weren't mic'd. And there was definitely moments when I missed entire pieces of dialogue. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure that they could have done any better than they did without having a budget for amplification. So yeah. and kudos I actually, to them for that. I, I'm glad that it wasn't amplified. I think it would have felt more stagey. Mm. Because as it was, even though we were out in the open, it did feel very intimate. It mm-hmm. felt like we were all gathered for a ritual. And yeah. I love that feeling of, so you, of theater. Do you think the same projects? I didn't see it. The same production would work in like a traditional theater. I think so. Maybe, yeah. Hmm. Okay, next up, Johnny Darling. Yay! I well, first of all, I have to say, I, this is the first Fringe uh, in like the four years that I've been here where I haven't seen anything bad. Like I've really, really liked. I've, I feel everything. that way too. I've yeah. really lucked out. So Johnny Darling, basically, I guess I liked a lot because it's as if. Uh, this guy, um, Michael Dasher. Michael Dasher. Yeah, it's as if he went into like my brain when I was a teenager, and he got like everything that I wanted to do, and just like put it on stage. Because <laughs> it's this guy who talks about being gay and coming out, and he does it by basically setting up his own version of like a big pop tour, like Madonna or like Britney Spears, in his room. But his room in this case would be on stage. So he combines these songs that he wrote with 
videos in which it's like real life testimonials from people who are going through coming out and, and you know, young LGBTQ people talking about their experiences. And then I loved it so much because it, it was just like, I mean, I remember all the time being in front of the mirror, like holding like a hairbrush and pretending I was Madonna or I was Britney Spears. <laughs> And then to see someone doing it on stage with original music and, you know, like this is I, I thought that it was like a great combination of a very intimate, very personal thing that you do, you know, like dancing on your own or singing in the shower. But it was so beautifully done and the songs were so catchy. Like I've been singing that there's a song called Cubicle Get Down, which I've been singing every day. <laughs> Because, by the way, his music is on Bandcamp and iTunes, oh, and you can good, buy it. Because I need that heart emoji song. Yes. Because I loved <laughs> I love it. Yeah, he's, he's such a charismatic performer. He's young. He's having a lot of fun. He's just all over the place, and he's shaking his ass, and he's getting sweaty as hell, and I just, I loved, it, it was just so infectious, his enthusiasm for what he was doing. The only, well, I have a question. I want to see what you thought about this. Because he has two backup dancers who sort of, well, who back him up and, and all of it. And for someone whose show is so focused on coming out and a queer experience, I thought it was very interesting that his backup dancers were one man and one woman who were often like interacting with each other sexually. It was like very, it was very hetero for a show that was so queer. Hmm. But, If you, because I actually thought, well, yeah, it was a guy and a, and a girl. But you remember that guy at one point came out with like a schoolgirl uniform, right? Yeah. Right. And it was it was just like what Madonna does on her shows. Like it was it was so Madonna. Like I love him for like I, I could talk about Madonna forever. Ah, <laughs> uh, uh, my, so, my Madonna knowledge is lacking, so it's yeah. possible. I just it was very getting it. it was very it was very sexual. Like the the dancers were amazing and they yeah. were gorgeous. Like, yeah, they were fantastic. And and it was, yeah, like, he talked about sex, like, he would have them, like, drinking and, like, doing, like, the, uh, like, you know, when they were pretending they were, like, typing and, like, sexting each yeah, other. Yeah, yeah. And, like, taking selfies. It was just a very, the one thing that I, that maybe I would have liked more of is that he uh, did usually, like, a song and then, like, a video interval or is that, I don't know. <laughs> like the <laughs> like, interlude, the kind of, like, yeah. between the pieces, yeah. And usually, like, the way those happen in tours it's like they do like a few songs and then the the video but since it was like video song video song video song i wish we could have been like in the specific like segments longer for instance yeah i did you know they were mixing it looked like anyway they were mixing all of those conversations live which i think was really cool wow the the, the mixer was on stage and they were working with that which sometimes meant because they were doing it improvisationally Sometimes you lost stories a little, and I, I agree with you. I wish we could have gotten them, maybe con fewer of them, but longer segments so that we got, you know, a little more of that story. But yeah, but we love you, Johnny. Yeah, no, it was amazing. <laughs> have you heard of the artist Neil Medlin and his pop star series? Mm -mm. This sounded oh, yeah. so. What I didn't see the show you guys went to, but when you were talking about it, it reminded me of his project, which is a series of eight different. I believe there are eight. Well, actually, I'm not sure how many there are, but they they were at American Realness uh, two years ago in 2015, and they're these 
performance pieces that revolve around particular pop stars like Lionel Richie and Britney Spears and Miley Cyrus. And often he, the way he, the persona kind of works is it's a combination of like a young person engaging with this pop star in their bedroom. And it's, Nicole and I, I think we talked about it on the uh, January Festival episode back in 2015. But it, it'd be interesting to hear, if you've got an opportunity to see those, how these two pieces might be in conversation with each other. In the future, maybe. I mean, Neil Medlin's an actor, like. a performer <laughs> who's you know in the scene regularly. But anyway, it reminded me of that. So if anybody saw both of those, let us know. Okay, next up, And Then. Actually, that's not the full title, is it? No, it's... And then a science fiction folk event. Yes. So this was, it reminded me a lot of uh, that movie uh, Interstellar and how it was a very like dust bowl-ish kind of setting. And it's like a science fiction story about people who go to explore space trying to find the meaning of life. And we are used to seeing science fiction stuff with like metal and like silver and, you know, like glitter. And this was very earthy because it was folk music. They had a piano and they had all this amazing, they were using props in this like amazing way, like having like lanterns and like they were making this great use of just moving around like the piano, for instance, or just like the instruments they were holding. And it's a very short show and I there's not really much of a plot other than like the main search, which they uh, elaborate on with the amazing songs that um, they, they wrote for this. And... I mean, yeah, it was just, just a delight. I was, like, grinning the entire time just sitting there, watching all these people just, like, sing about death <laughs> <laughs> and comets. So this show felt to me a little bit like a group of college kids had put together a really good senior project. It was, like, a really good version of that. The music probably exceeds that description but like as a whole it felt like a very successful version of a senior project um to and i want to i want to spoil it because my primary comment requires spoiling the show um the plot is that there are two uh synthetic humans and you basically follow these synthetic humans through time it starts out 100 years in the future and you get to hundreds of thousands of years into the future and these two, you follow these two humans who take the form of different performers on stage as they search for like the meaning of life and this is the spoiler when you get to the end they determine that like life has no meaning like there is no meaning of life and i was <laughs> just and, I, and the whole time i mean i was enjoying it the music is lovely i agree with jose on that point but i wasn't really like so engaged until it got to this like incredibly nihilistic conclusion and I was like wow I don't think I've ever seen something be quite so just nihilistic on stage before like I kept waiting for this like super sincere sappy like the meaning of life is x or we learned that the reason you live your life is x and so you know we had these hundreds of years to test every imaginable hypothesis being synthetic humans and we got to this conclusion and i thought it was going to be like really sappy and they're just like yep there's no meaning but i thought i thought that they were yeah i i yeah i mean the the the, the word earnest kind of crossed my mind when i was watching the show uh -huh. for a bit but I guess if this makes any sense, they were being earnest in how, you know, like, they're like, okay, there's no meaning, so let's go and have fun. 
I mean, there was like a sincerity in that that I thought was very admirable. Yeah, I like, walked out on a real high after that. <laughs> <laughs> I love a show that'll just tell you it's pointless. It's just, that's nice. Oh my God. Okay, uh, the typical fringe. Um, girl v. Corinth. I love that you call it Girl v. Corinth. You're, Is that you're, not what it's called? It's Girl versus Corinth, but oh, I love oh. your, your law is showing. There you go. I love it. Uh, so Girl vs. Corinth was the musical about Medea and Mary Wollstonecraft and Betty Friedan and Rebecca Walker. And it, it didn't realize until the show they're representing the three waves of feminism, first, second, and third. Mm. That's what they're doing. Um, and so it starts off like like a typical cabaret. Medea's going to tell you her story about why she did what she did. And she has these three backup singers representing the three waves of feminism, but then they each come forward and sort of talk about how they got to where they did. They fight with each other because obviously different waves of feminism are, are bumping up against each other. Uh, and all the while talking about sort of a, a woman's place and finding finding your own space in the world and defining who you are in relation to everything else which was I really enjoyed it these are going back these are songs that are stuck in my head recently (laughs) and it's a show that felt like you could pick it up shine it a little bit and drop it into Joe's pub it has that kind of feel Hmm. where it's like kind of edgy downtown rock and roll with like four badass women and one helpless man that they've pulled on stage. Uh, because one of the running jokes is that they couldn't afford to hire five actors. So they pull their, their PA, like the male pay, PA out of the audience and he has to play all the male roles. And they just kind of were like, you stand here, say this. Okay. And then they just like act around him. But it's not an audience participation. No, situation. no, 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 oh, okay. no, no. He's clearly a, a person hired by the show. Don't worry. <laughs> Don't worry. Uh, yeah, so I, th- I thought it was really enjoyable. I really love. They also all rap, which was fun, relevant, I guess. Um, and they just have a really great banter, and I appreciated that by having these three different waves of feminism come up, they can have a conversation with each other. And so, you know, you could talk about, uh, what is her name? Betty Friedan. Feminine Mystique, and then, and then Rebecca Walker's like, hey, but you left out women of color. And they can sort of interact in that way. And it means they can bring the play really up to the present because they started talking about the Stanford rape case. Wow. So, like, very recent history uh, to talk about in that. I, I, yeah, I thought it was a lot of fun. I enjoyed it a lot. Like, my only, uh, uh, I don't want to say issue with it, but more of, like, I don't know, uh, was... I feel this show, I, I found myself nodding and agreeing with everything they were saying and everything they were doing. So after a while, I felt like, you know, like, I know all of this. You're preaching to the choir. And I imagined how great this show would be, like, at the GOP convention. Like, learn <laughs> this. So I don't know. Sometimes I find myself drifting away because I was like, I agree with everything you're saying. And I just want to go out and, like, tell people who don't know anything about this to, like, go see this show. Yeah. But I mean... Who knows what the audience... Well, I mean, I guess if they're coming to a Fringe show, they're probably... I'm just guessing they're a little <laughs> more open-minded uh, in their lives. I like that they were questioning the, the classics again. Like, we should get yeah, more of that all the yeah. time. Yeah, it really it gave them a lot of space to play that was really fun. 
Also, I wish they'd get rid of their projections. I say that about 90% of the Fringe shows, uh, though I do have a show that I think could use projections. I'm going <laughs> to talk about in a little bit. But this one could have done without it. The, the girls are really compelling. Uh, what they had going on in the video, maybe it may just be the space. Drum has a, their screen is very high up. So in, able, in order to watch the screen, you lose watching the people on stage, which yep. was kind of rough. Yep. They don't need it. You don't need it, ladies. Well, that one sounds really interesting. I, I really think, you know, they did DC Fringe with it. They've taken it around to a couple different spots. I feel like it might pop up again. Cool. Okay, next up is Red Devil Moon. It is a musical. The book is by Robert Earl Price, and the music and lyrics are by Pam Ortiz. This is based on a book from 1923 called Cain. Jose, had you heard of this book prior to this show nope okay so jose and i saw this together and it is a story it's a love triangle set during the jim crow era and at the center of this love triangle is a black woman and her suitors are a black man the two of them work uh in the sugarcane fields and making and processing sugar which if you don't know anything about that history, is an absolutely horrific environment to work in. And I do believe that there was a point in history where it had sort of like the highest mortality rate of all professions in the country. Um, And it was a very, very difficult environment to work in. Um, And then the the second suitor, the third kind of main character, is a white man. And I never really understood what his like professional role was in connection. If he like own, was the owner of the sugarcane field or the processing plant or what, but um, obviously there's a power dynamic given the uh, racial profiles of the suitors. So the music is in a kind of like southern tradition. This was really more of a concert. A staged concert than uh, an, a, a, an actual musical. In fact, I believe this was just selections from the show, but what you basically had was three singers, um, and then you had a band on stage. Um, so the music was all live. The music sounded great. Um, Pam Ortiz was in the band. It's like her band was the one performing the songs. Um, unfortunately, the narrator was out. The, uh, the narrator who was supposed to be played or the the book writer was supposed to be the narrator, but he was out inexplicably. So a different person filled in for him. And so basically we have these three people, all African-American, primary singers, and then you have a band, and then you had a narrator who tried to fill in the gaps. So it wasn't, it wasn't how I imagined this show would actually occur once they stage it. I imagine that there's not a narrator and that, you just see the activity instead of hearing about it. Does that make sense? Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it was more like a concert, like a reading, like okay. a staged concert or oh, a reading okay. for a musical. Yeah. But, but with the intention of eventually staging it as a piece. I mean, it. Uh, I would have to assume. Uh-huh. Um, one th- one thing um, that's kind of interesting is that this is you know it appears to be early in the stage of development of this project, and I say this with like no judgment at the table, but like. These were older performers, and that was kind of exciting to see something from a group of older performers in the fringe, in the early stage of development. We always, I mean, think of the fringe as something where you have, like, young people just out of college, first-time production experience in New York City, but this clearly wasn't that. 
the performers and the singers and the musicians were quite skilled and clearly uh, very experts in their craft. Um, in fact, I believe that the trio of singers um, is an existing singing group and the band is an existing band and they came together to perform this you know, concert at Fringe. I really liked it, although I had a little, I struggled a little bit to get exactly um, all the nuance of the plot and the character development because there wasn't even really, I mean, the singers were acting, but not in a way that, you know, a typical production would produce acting on stage. But I thought that I was very hopeful for the future of this show. What did you think, Jose? I'm very hopeful for the future of the show as well. Because, yeah, you can totally see, well, here in this case, that uh, these people are really talented. Mm -hmm. Like, they had a massive band. I yeah. don't think I've ever seen a band that big at a fringe show. Yeah. And not only were they having the time of their lives performing, but the arrangements and the orchestrations and the layers, everything was so beautiful. Like, you know, these people know their shit. Yeah. 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 And it was nice to see a story on stage that centered a woman of color, which, mm -hmm. I mean, that's very rare. Were you imagining the show like on an actual, you know, like traditional staging, like on Broadway or something like that? I was trying to, um, but I couldn't quite get there because of the, the, it felt like we truly were just seeing excerpts. I thought some of the songs, in particular the first song called Pilgrim Train, was just gorgeous. I've been singing Bent and Cut. Yes, so yeah, beautiful. <laughs> Some of the music was just so lovely. Mm. So I can imagine this having a life beyond, hopefully, this production at the Even French. an album would be amazing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Maybe they could do like a Hades Town thing. Yep. Possibly. Oh, that would be great. Yeah. Okay. Uh, next up, Golden Tofu. Yeah, happy, lucky, golden tofu, panda, dragon, good time, <laughs> fun, fun show. I just, I love that title. And I love, they had the, the background for most of the show was all of that written out in emojis, which is like a huge wall of emojis, and I loved that. Yeah, I, I thought this was a lot of fun. This was another sort of more cabaret-type show. Uh, it was Kate Rigg and Leah Ryan who developed it, but I want to give a special shout out to Lyris Hung, who played the violin for the show, who was incredible. She played everything. She was looping it. She was singing. She was playing all the instruments and wow. sort of did interludes in between the pieces. Because Kate Rigg was the sort of the lone performer on stage. I guess when they said Lee Ryan and Kate Rigg, I assume that they were both on stage. It's really not. It was really mostly Kate Rigg. Um, doing characters and monologues and one-woman sketches and playing with lyrics. Um, it, it was great. I think it's a lot of fun. This is another one where I wonder about getting it in front of a different type of audience, someone who's, you know, maybe like, tell me all about Asians. <laughs> oh, boy. Um, yeah, but, but it was, like, very smart, very funny. Uh, I, I don't know what else I can really say about it. I don't know. Go for it. I like how easy they took you from like places where you're like laughing like so hard and then like they would take you to like really really dark things like when they had like the whole sketch with the guy who sold souvenirs down at oh, World Trade yeah, Center. Oh yeah, a long sketch about uh, a woman selling souvenirs at the 9-11 memorial. 
Mm. Uh, which, you know, what it takes to sell dollar t-shirts and why you're out there and, you know, what it takes for a, a woman of color to make money when they move to the U.S. and the American dream. It was just, it was funny and very biting and just very smart. Like one of those things where you look around and you're like, am I allowed to laugh? Because they, they were really, really, really yeah. funny. But also you're like, oh my God, this is so true and so wrong. So yeah. they were amazing at that, at achieving that combination of just like dark, like social commentary, which we need, but also like amazing comedic, like timing and like everything, like like the line delivery, everything. She was fantastic. Yeah, she would like monologue a little bit. I'd say it was like at least half of her just monologuing and then doing some little characters like that and the thing, the good luck kitty. <laughs> yeah, and then an Asian woman trying out for what? I, I Some college state school cheerleading squad, which was also really wonderful and talking about sort of college, collegiate expectations and minorities in college and it was awesome. Cool. Yeah. All right. Brandana. This show again was so much fun. Uh, it's Brandana Summer Lives Live. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, this performer, Brandon Alter, has uh, an alter ego, <laughs> Brandana. And in the show, she's been missing. She's like this like amazing celebrity. And she suddenly goes missing for like over five years. And it turns out that she was spotted in Japan by like Carl Lagerfeld, who turned her into his new muse. And then she met this like handsome Venezuelan and went to Venezuela forever. But the her beau was uh, one of like the biggest drug lords in the world. So she comes back to New York and does her very first show, her comeback. And basically she tells us what she's been up to for the past five years that she's mm -hmm. been gone. It was it had like I wanted all her costumes, like I still want them. It was like <laughs> it was fantastic. It was this cabaret show but also like a traditional play in a way they had like flashbacks and they had costume changes and they had like dancing and they had like a great accompanist and it and had a plot it did have a plot yeah and <laughs> Brandana herself was like like wow like even if they were I love Gwyneth Paltrow which is something that you're gonna people are gonna be like oh make him shut up but I love Gwyneth Paltrow and even though they made all these Gwyneth jokes I was like I'm rooting for Brandana. Like, Brandana can make all the Gwyneth jokes <laughs> she wants. I love it. It sounds kind of like a, what am I thinking, like a Charles Bush sort of situation. That's awesome. How would you rate this on a scale of drag queen shows? How would I? Uh, I don't, what was, what was, I don't know, because I actually was never thinking about it. Like, In those terms? As, yeah, mm -hmm. as a drag show. Like, I just was, convinced that this I didn't even I wasn't thinking about you know the the guy behind the, the wigs and like the dresses I was just seeing this Brandana so yeah I, I, I don't know I'll have to think about it and come back to you well it's interesting because Brandana sings in this performance beautifully and um, I was I you know when I sort of came to the show I had it in my head that this was a drag queen show um, and I hope it's not offensive for me to say that. Um, and so when Brandon started singing, I was like, oh, this that's unusual. It struck me as unusual that the performer was singing in their own voice. Um, so I was just, I don't know. I don't have a lot of experience in that space. So, Like I've been seeing this that's 
coming up more often, and I think it's really awesome. Like, there's this guy who's going to be at Joe's Pop, Kevin Michael Kirkwood, who does a whole show in drag where he sings Whitney Houston songs. Oh. And I, I love that we're seeing this, you know, like, where being in drag is not, like, you know, like, a drag show anymore, but it's just, like, actors playing characters. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really amazing. Like, it makes me really excited about where we're going with the world. Yep. Yeah. And this had a great supporting cast. There was four characters on yeah. stage yeah um they were all excellent um there's some really nice dancing i thought the movement was great <laughs> yeah. if we want to go critique on it <laughs> um yeah that show was fun okay and wrapping up with billy tender i had talked about love me forever billy h tender uh dr- with during our preview and it was. I saw it. It was absolutely amazing. Like uh, I've been telling everyone to go see it. I, I hope it's still, it still have some shows left because basically you have Jesse Lavercombe again playing two men and the women, and it's this like uh, this word gets overused all the time and this kind of thing. But it's like he's getting like possessed by all these characters. He'll be like talking as, well, the the show is about Billy H. Tender was like a Justin Bieber kind of pop star. And suddenly one day at a concert, he tells him, I'm not going to be doing my pop songs. I'm going to be doing folk music. So he starts doing all this folk music and people boo at him. And then it's about how this sudden change affects both his mom and his younger, youngest brother. And the show is set in the future. What I, was, what I thought, maybe I've just been picking the right shows for me because I love melancholy shows. And this show is so freaking melancholic. Like he's imagining the future just like, not even that far into the future, but it's such a lonely place where like all of these characters, even though they're surrounded by people, they are just relying on their phones or their computers or even Billy on that Justin Bieber like stage. He's there on his own. It's like, he's not connected to anyone. And it's this amazing thing about how these three people, even though they're related, they don't know anything about the other. And I thought it was amazing how Jesse, even though it's the same actor playing these three characters, he doesn't have any costume changes. He just changes his mannerisms and the tone of his voice or his accent. And then he's someone completely different. And I I was really moved. It was very, very funny. There's some slight audience participation because Billy's mom is into uh, phone sex with strangers. So at some point, people in the audience were playing. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) So I was most of the time I was praying that I, w- I would not be among the chosen ones. Were you? I was not. So, <laughs> so yeah. But it was really great to hear what the other the people because it was it added this extra element to what people say in the dark when no one can see them. So like the things that came out that came from behind me that people were saying, I was like, Jesus Christ, are they actors? Wait, were they ad libbing or were they given a script? No, they were just like ad libbing. They were just they were ad libbing a phone sex conversation. Yeah. So like, oh yeah. <laughs> so he would be he as the mom would be like, what are you into? And some woman who was in front of me, she's like, I love whipping. And I was like, whoa. And then he took it from there. So I would love to see how this, as long as it's not me, how this changed from show to show. (laughs) Wow. Oh, my God. That's so great. Amazing. All right. Well, from that to Connect Down Under. Yeah. Actually, kind of a good segue because Connect Down Under is, yeah, because it's also a lot about uh, technology and isolation. Uh, So this is a play by Jess Casimel. It's an autobiographical 
piece about her adjusting to life after the death of her brother, who it sort of implied had a pretty big web presence. It sounds like he was on message boards. He was like sort of a, a vacationing guy uh, who went from Canada to Australia, therefore the Canuck down under of the title, uh, into Thailand and was traveling around backpacking as, as people are want to do and eventually dies in Thailand. Now, I remember last year, Jack and I having a discussion about these autobiographical plays that pop up in Fringe that are really interesting, but maybe the author's not ready to tell the story yet. Mm. And I think that's the case here. Um, Jess seems to be young. Um, There's a lot of the plays about, after her brother's funeral, coming back to college in New York and dealing with her younger brother and her mother uh, via Skype and texting and all of that. And unfortunately, it doesn't quite go past the surface level of how you can be by yourself and still feel comfort and how not having your family with you but being able to connect with them via Skype or text or email can still be a comfort. And so... The play doesn't really, for most of it, dip below the surface of, like, technology can bring us together when we feel lonely. There's a bit towards the end of the play. I mean, it's, it's only an hour long. And towards about the 50-minute mark, this very interesting point where Jess is sending face, her brother's Facebook message. Her Facebook profile is still live when he is dead. So she sends him messages, sort of updating him on her life, because he she saw him come online at one point, and she you know kind of got wrapped up in that. And then she goes to write to him, and his profile's been deleted, and like she can't deal with that. Mm. And that to me was the most interesting little nugget of the play: is that you know why can't she delete her dead brother's phone number from her phone, even though it's clearly not going to go to anybody? You know why does it mean so much that his Facebook profile? is still there even when he's not. And those are the kernels of what I think make a really interesting play. Unfortunately, they got there a little, too little too late. Uh, But I think she has a really great idea here that just maybe needs a little more personal distance from the story itself before she tries to tell it again. Also, talking about projections... This space, it was at uh, Soho Playhouse, had a huge screen in the back, a projection screen, that was not used. And I think if you're going to do a show that's dealing with Skype and texting and setting up Tinder and emails and all the things, to not take advantage of that, you lose a lot. Uh, I know doing projections in Fringe is very hard because I've seen it done poorly so many times. But this is one of the few shows where I'll say it would really benefit from using video feed or projections or what have you uh, to sort of supplement the work because there's a lot of things that happen that because we don't get to see them had to be like I open an email and I read it out loud which felt very unnatural Hmm. Um, but yeah I I think the nugget is there I think we just it needs a little more time to to grow what's interesting to me about most of the shows we saw is they don't feel like 
exactly typical fringe shows in the sense that and this is probably largely due to your influence jose for encouraging us to see so many musicals but i didn't (laughs) see a single one person show Hmm. all of mine had actually really large casts Mm -hmm. now you saw one person show liz and jose you each saw one one person show or did you see more than that well I guess the closest one would be Johnny Darlin in the closet, but even oh, then... Oh, I was thinking of Connect Down Under. Oh, no, Connect Down Under is a full, is a full cast. Oh, it is? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was a one-person yeah, show. It's, oh, um, interesting. One, two, three, six, seven people? Oh, my gosh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Who play her family and friends and roommate and got all it, that. Got it, Yeah. And then... Billy H. Tender was... Tender is a yeah. one-person show. And then I saw one other one-person show called At the Fall. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. Everything, yeah, you're, everything else had like big casts. Yeah. Yeah, mm. and I feel like the quality was like above average. Yeah, I feel like all the shows that I saw were really solid. It's big. I don't know if I'm just getting better at picking them or what. More yeah. musicals all the time. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I've seen some pretty bad French musicals. <laughs> so what do we have coming up? Anyone have a full theater agenda ahead of them for the remainder of August into September? I actually have a very light schedule. Yeah, I got like Trojan Women at the Flea. Um, Underground Railroad play at Ars Nova, Aubergine at Playwrights Horizons I'm really excited about. Um, oh, and uh, I want to go see The Layover, the new Leslie Headland play that's over at Second Stage. And I have more Fringe. <laughs> and I have uh, A Day by the Sea at Theater Row. I have the Whitney Houston show at Joe's Pub. Well, Kevin Michael Kerwood as Whitney Houston. <laughs> and I think that's pretty much it. The public theater is doing their annual, I don't know what they call it, public engagement show at the Shakespeare in the Park space. Public Works. Public Works, that's what it's called. Yeah, they're doing Twelfth Night, so I'm planning to hit that up. Oh, yeah. Shayna Taub wrote Mm -hmm. the music for that. Yes. Yeah. That's going to be amazing. Yeah. All right, cool. I think that's everything. That was nice. Thank you so much for joining the Max New Theater and Performance Podcast. What have you seen at the Fringe, and what did you think about it? Tell us on Twitter. Maximu is at Maximu. Jose is at Jose Solis Mayen. Liz is at Miss Liz Richards. And I'm at Lindsay Barons. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave a rating and a review on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as a reminder, we have merch. Coffee mugs and tote bags printed with your favorite Maximu-isms. All proceeds go to upgrading our equipment. We'll see you in two weeks with our preview of Theatre Beyond Broadway in September. Theatrical Media.